The rest of us this morning have a unique opportunity to do something we don't often do. We don't do it on a regular basis, that's for sure. We have an opportunity to affirm a new elder. And an elder, in case you're new to Christianity or the Bible, an elder is used as a synonym in the Bible for pastor or for overseer. They're all talking about the same kind of person. And so we have that privilege today to be able to affirm David Pugh as an elder. And uh, we'll do that at the end of the service. If you recall, a few weeks ago, David came and gave his testimony. He talked about how God has been gracious to him and he'd saved him from his sins. And we also, uh, I gave you kind of the explanation as to how that goes. Um, The qualifications for eldership are in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. We take those very seriously. Uh, When someone is called to shepherd, to care for the flock of God, that's a serious matter. And uh, he also has gone through a pretty pretty in-depth process, really, um, looking into issues of David's theology, his Bible knowledge, his ability to do pastoring and counseling, as well as his ability to teach and preach, because those relate to elder qualifications. And so by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, and he would certainly say yes to that, um, he meets those qualifications. So thank you for praying. Uh, Thank you for for praying regarding that, and and we'll have opportunity to publicly affirm what God has done at the end of the service. Well, this affords us with an opportunity to talk about biblical leadership, and so we're going to do that this morning. Uh, We're not going to go to the qualifications in 1 Timothy. We could do that. That would be a good thing. We won't do that this morning. We've done that before. We're not going to go to the qualifications in Titus 1. That would be good as well. Instead, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we don't see the qualifications listed for Christian leadership, but what we do see are the qualifications lived out. We see the qualifications exemplified. And so I thought this might be a good and unique way for us to talk about Christian leadership, to talk about gospel leadership. And as we look at Acts 20, verses 17 to the end of the chapter, What we're going to do is identify a number of hallmarks, hallmarks of Christ-exalting leadership. There's more to it than just that in the passage, but there's not less. We'll look at these 11, we'll identify them from the Apostle Paul's life so that we can be reminded of what Christian leadership is supposed to look like. Let's read the first verse of the section and then set things up a bit. Look at verse 17 with me, if you would, of Acts 20, where it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. If we could just briefly stop there for a moment, I'll try to fill in the details a little bit so we don't have to read the whole chapter. What's going on is the Apostle Paul is on his journey and it's interrupted. You might say in our day he has a travel delay according to the sovereign providence of God. And what he does is he sends for the elders or the pastors or the overseers of the church at Ephesus, the Ephesian elders. And he wants them to come to him. And as we'll see in our passage, he wants them to come to him so that he can teach them about leadership. He's going to teach by using himself as an example of one who loves Christ and is sold out to the gospel of Christ so that they can learn from that as Christian leaders. That's what they need to be. He'll also eventually get to the place where he is pointing his finger, if you will, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's exhorting them. He's telling them what they must do. 
So it's a great teaching time. He's going to teach by example, and he's going to teach actual, by, actually by instruction. Again, we're doing this because we certainly want to know what the Bible says about leadership qualifications, yes, but it's helpful to see what it looks like so that we might pray for our leaders, so that more leaders might be raised up, so that we might be able to even know what it means to have a godly leader, sadly, because there are so many quote-unquote professing Christian leaders who aren't godly, so that we might be able to follow them. So I trust we'll have a good time doing that together. The first hallmark we're going to observe of Christ-exalting leadership is gospel sincerity. Each one of these will start with gospel. So gospel sincerity, and we see this in verse 18. And when they came to him, that is the Ephesian elders coming to Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Gospel sincerity is coming off of the page because he's, notice, belaboring the point even with this choice of words. You yourselves know how from the first day that I was among you, from the time I set foot in Asia, from the time my foot set on the continent, I lived a certain way. He's saying to them, you saw how I lived when I was at Ephesus. I think his point here being that his gospel ministry, his proclamation of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus Christ that, that frees us from the bondage of sin, his preaching was not in great contradiction to his living. That he says, you saw my life the whole time. His life wasn't a big gospel contradiction. There actually was, by the grace of God, a complimenting. Certainly, he's not claiming sinless perfection. The Apostle Paul elsewhere tells us about struggling with sin, like in Galatians chapter 5. He's not claiming to have a life that exactly matches the gospel because only Jesus Christ could do that. But he is making the point that you saw my life and it wasn't one big contradiction. There wasn't a Grand Canyon-sized gap between what I was saying is true in redemption through Christ and the way I live my life. There was sincerity. We might cross-reference to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above what? Above reproach. So, people can throw dirt at me and throw mud at me, but by the grace of God, because of the power of the gospel I preach, it was like Teflon. It didn't stick. It didn't stick. So, a leader in Christ church is to have a life that gives evidence of the power of the gospel that he proclaims. He's to be sincere. We're told that our English word sincere comes from the Latin sinacera. I've never studied Latin, so I have to take someone else's word for it. Sinacera, meaning without wax. Borrowed from ancient culture. Pottery culture. Where if you are a potter and you make a pot to be sold in the marketplace and it cracks while being heated, if you're dishonest, if you're not sincere, you're going to melt some wax and fill in the holes and then paint it and sell it for full price in the marketplace. 
so that when someone goes and puts it on the fire to make their food that evening, they're going to see that they've been had, they've been taken by someone who is not sincere. Well, a Christian leader who's a gospel leader needs to have a sincere life. They need to be sincera. They need to be without wax. And Paul is saying, that was true by the grace of God in my life. And by implication, talking to other Christian leaders, it's an exhortation. Can't have that big gap. And we see the big gap all around us. You'll read about the big gap in the news this week. Professing Christians who say we believe in the power of the gospel, that Jesus frees from the power of sin, being sadly proclaimed so many times by those who are in bondage to sin. And it ought not be that way. And Paul is using himself as an example of that. Let's move to a second hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership we can learn by way of example, and that's gospel service. Gospel service. Look at verse 19 where it says, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Interestingly enough, it's, it's the Greek word for the word slave. You know, I'm a leader. There's no question about it. The apostle Paul can say, I'm an apostle. An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls himself that a lot. But let's make sure we understand, if you're a leader in Christ's church, he's going to get to this later. He's going to say, Christ bought the church with his own blood. He's the Lord, as it says right there in verse 19. He says, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to Christ. Slaves, if they're faithful slaves, don't have personal agendas. It's not about them and climbing the ladder and somehow having it be all about them and having people, more and more people, because, you know, after all, I'm a great apostle. I'm a great apostle. Or you could say, I'm a great pastor. I'm a great elder. I'm a great overseer. And he's saying, all right, for the record, for the record, boys, (laughs) for the record, fellow slaves, we wear aprons. We are servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a gospel leader, you're a Christian leader, it's all about serving the Lord Jesus Christ who bought the church with His own blood. It belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to you. It's helpful for us to see that. He elaborates on this service by saying in verse 19, with all humility, serving with all humility. Again, we understand what that means. It's not about self, self, self. I'm a Christian leader. I'm a servant. I'm a slave of Christ. And and so, by the grace of God, I serve with humility, he says. Now, it's sometimes helpful for us to remember that humility has been pretty perverted in the day in which we live. Paul is not saying, I'm humble. I have no convictions about anything. I would never say anything that is dogmatic or absolutely true. You see, in the Christian realm, that's not humility. That would be pride. Because if he's a servant of the Lord Jesus, he's not going to say, well, I know Jesus says that, but I can't really understand him. You know, he's kind of lacking the ability to communicate. Is the implication. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and so I serve Him with humility. Oh, translation... I say what He says. 
I agree with him. If he says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me, I don't say, oh, I'm so humble. I just don't know if that's the case. (laughs) This is what's true. And humility would say, I agree with Jesus. Pride would say, I can't understand Jesus. Or I disagree with Jesus. So he serves. A gospel leader is one who serves Christ and they serve with humility, which means they're under Christ, which means they say what Christ says. Then if we move on, he serves the Lord in verse 19 with tears. We're going to get to verse 31 in a little while where he talks about the spiritual predators, the wolves that are even within the church family. And perhaps that's why he serves with tears. He's not just a hired gun. He cares about these people and he knows the stakes are high to the point where he's finding himself Christ-like. Like when Christ wept over Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. That's the kind of servant he is. And we also see at the end of verse 19, he serves with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He's not just the guy that says, I'm going to serve Jesus as long as everything's okay. Interestingly enough, in that that context, trials are not just general trials like the health trials that we might face and he would have faced too. Actually, here the context is gospel trials. These trials that the Jews caused for me because they were telling lies about me. They were telling lies about Christ. They were anti-gospel people and it was making my life hard. They were slandering me because of my commitment to preaching Christ and the gospel. So what we need to remember, we need to remember if we're talking about a Christian leader, a gospel leader, they're going to serve Jesus Christ and they're even going to serve Jesus Christ and His gospel when there is gospel opposition even when it's not popular to say we believe and will promote and defend salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, that creates trials because religious people don't like that because it gives all the glory to Christ. Let's move on to a third hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership and that's gospel courage. Gospel courage in verse 20. Look there with me if you would. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I didn't hold back. When I came to Ephesus, the Apostle Paul says, I didn't shrink back. I didn't compromise. I didn't hold back from giving you everything that was profitable. In other words, everything that would be good for you. Everything that would be of benefit to you. I gave it to you. A good cross-reference for that is Titus 1.9 where it's referring to elders and it says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, listen to this, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, literally in healthy teaching, borrowed from the world of medicine. It's a lot like what he's saying here. When I came to Ephesus, because I'm not a sham because I'm not a huckster, because I'm not a salesman. I didn't hold back from giving you everything that was profitable. If we cross-reference, same idea. Everything that was healthy. Sort of like a physician. Knowing in his mind that not all the medicine is going to go down so easy. Knowing in his mind that some of those pills, if you will, are hard to swallow. 
But a true Christian gospel leader is going to give everything and not shrink back from that which is healthy, that which people need for their spiritual health. So he's going to talk about sin. And he's going to talk about repentance. And he's going to talk about God and His grace. And he's going to talk about some of these things that perhaps box our ears sometimes. 2 Timothy 4. But if he's an ethical spiritual physician, he's going to say, this is what you need. This is what's healthy for you. That's what a gospel leader is going to do. He's going to demonstrate courage. Remember, too, in the flow here, he's the servant of God. He's a servant of Christ. And, and he's not the servant in that sense of the people. Yes, he serves. We could look at other passages like that for the benefit of the flock. But he has courage to give them what they might not even want. Sometimes, since it's a biblical analogy, I like to say, remember, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And here's where it's extra biblical, extrapolated. He didn't say pet them. Feed them. Even if they don't feel like eating, feed them. Give them what's healthy. Oh, those cute little sheep, they like to be scratched behind the ears. Oh, look at them. Oh, and they like it. I'm such a good pastor. <laughs> He's got to do what's profitable, what's healthy, what's best. He has this mindset that says, Jesus Christ is Lord, and, and I want to obey Him and be devoted to Him and His gospel cause. He's got to have some courage. A fourth gospel hallmark or a hallmark of Christ-exalting gospel leadership is gospel care. This certainly complements number three. The second part of verse 20, we could put the whole thing together, no doubt, and have it as one point, but let's separate it out for our purposes. Gospel care, number four. He says, and teaching you in public and from house to house. I think that has care written all over it. I'm going to give you what's profitable and I'm going to get it to you however I possibly can, whatever it takes to get the point across. However it is I can help you, however it is I can get you what's profitable, I'm going to do it publicly. And if that's not sinking in and you need more help, I'm going to go to house and I'm going to go to house and I'm going to go to house. I'm going to do everything I possibly can because I really do care because I'm not a hired hand. I've been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is His church. He bought it with His blood and I've been commissioned to feed the sheep and so I'm going to care care enough to do whatever I need to do to make the gospel clear. If you look ahead at verse 31, it really complements verse 20 where it says, therefore be alert, remembering for three years. That sounds like care. Three years I did not cease. That sounds like care. Night or day, care to admonish everyone with tears. That sounds like care. Isn't it interesting if you do look ahead to verse 31 to admonish? That can, be, that can be mistaken as not caring. You know the word admonish means to correct. I loved you so much I admonished you. I corrected you. If we looked at Colossians chapter 1, it talks about admonishing and teaching. He cared so much, and they go together, they complement each other. He cared so much he was willing to go to people and say, your theology is wrong admonish, smile. 
But here's what's right. Teaching, Colossians 1. He cared so much that he would go to them and say, your living is wrong. Admonish. You say you're a Christian. You've trusted in Christ who's given you freedom from the enslavement to sin. Stop doing what you're doing. That's admonishing. And do this. Put off. Put on. He cared. So when we're saying, what do leaders need to look like? They need to love the Lord Jesus Christ so much that they're actually going to care and they're not just hired hands or hired guns. They're not unethical physicians. They're ethical ones. Let's move on to a fifth hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership we can learn from the Apostle Paul. That's gospel outreach. Gospel outreach. Verse 21, testify both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel outreach. You see what he's been doing so far? It's been believer ministry, admonishing believers. I'm going to help believers. I'm going to care for the sheep. But then he also wants to teach by way of example, I'm not only going to hide in the holy huddle. We're not going to only become ingrown here. We're we're, we're not going to forget, love your neighbor as yourself. We're not going to forget Great Commission. By the way, that verse is reminiscent of Great Commission, isn't it? 21. Both Jews and Greeks. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, that's what He means, both Jews and Greeks, because that makes up all nations. He's a Great Commission man. Like Timothy, where he said, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You're out of balance when you're only doing church ministry you're going to be a gospel leader it's not only church ministry with believers paul's giving himself as an example saying look you know i was there testifying both to jews and greeks of repentance toward god and of faith in our lord jesus christ i was very inclusive in ministry believers and unbelievers jews and non-jews this is a good word for me By the way, this is a good word for you if you're a leader or not because by definition, leaders are people we're supposed to follow. So you might say, I'm never going to be an elder. I'm never going to be a pastor. That's fine, but leaders are meant to be followed. So actually, the reason we have them is so that they can be examples in these things for us. Even think about your life, whether you're a leader or not, aspiring or not. Do you have a church focus, believer focus? Good Do you have an unbeliever focus? If you do, good. If you don't, bad. (laughs) It's both. It's both. And we tend to get out of balance one way or the other. And by example, he's showing us that that's not healthy. We say we believe the gospel. Let's watch it transform people's lives, even as believers. Remember, Romans is a book about the gospel and he wrote it to Christians. So let's watch gospel ministry in the life of believers, absolutely. But let's also watch gospel ministry in the life of unbelievers so that they can come to know Christ and worship and serve Him. It's both. A sixth hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership is gospel, let's call it submission. Gospel submission, 22, 23, 24. 22 says, and, and, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem 
constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. That's pretty bizarre. You know, I'd like to read verse 22, just the beginning, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem because there's some amazing things going on there. A lot of sights to see in Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem because it's a hot spot when it comes to tourism. I'm going to Jerusalem because Omaha Bible Church is going there on the Israel trip, you know. I'm going to Jerusalem. Submission is constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. He's submitting to the Spirit's leading. He knows he needs to go to Jerusalem, but he's not even sure what's going to happen to him there, but he has a pretty good idea. Let's keep reading. 23. I don't know the details, but here's what I do know. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Oh, good. Travelocity? You know, I didn't check that box when I told you what I was looking for. But it's gospel submission. I am sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of His and of His gospel. And I know that I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. And the only thing that I do know for sure is it's going to be bad for me. Good for the cause of Christ. Bad for me. I've heard it said before, the Apostle Paul, you know, he didn't, he didn't figure out what inns were available in town. It wasn't like he checked out to see what the Motel 6 was going to be like there. When he was going to go to a new town, what he would have asked people is, what's the jail like? You know, how's the porridge? <laughs> what's the food like at the jail, not the Denny's? This is just the pattern of his life because he sold out to the gospel and the gospel gets you in trouble sometimes, especially when you're a leader. It's gospel submission. Let's keep reading. Verse 24, but I do not accept, I, I do not account my life of any value. See, that's why he's going. Nor as precious to myself. That's why he's going. And here's a submission statement. If only I may finish my course. See, God gave him a course, so he needs to finish it. That's submission and The ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, that submission to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's a gospel leader. I know what I've been called to do and I'm being moved to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it even though I know it's going to be bad for me because I've been called by the Lord to testify of the Lord and of His great gospel of hope and so I'm going. If somebody's going to be a gospel leader, a Christian leader, I keep saying it that way, by the way, on purpose, because sometimes the word Christian has lost any oomph. Christian. Gospel. The essence of Christianity is the gospel. Read the book of Acts. It's all about the gospel. Taking hold. Transforming people's lives. So we're talking about gospel leaders. Well, this gospel leader here, is going to submit to God's leading. And by the way, when you read 22, 23, and 24, and you see Paul's resolve to submit to Christ, I think it might be helpful to remember that that wouldn't have been a popular decision. We're going to read at the end of our passage where the Ephesians are bawling their eyes out. If he would have taken a survey of the Ephesian elders and said, who would like me to go to Jerusalem? they would have said, no. None of us want you to go to Jerusalem. If they would have sent word back to the local congregation at Ephesus, please take a vote. Offer a congregational vote. Should the Apostle Paul go to Jerusalem or not? 
And I trust it would have been 200 to zero. They say no, Maximus. <laughs> they say no. But he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Spirit of God is moving him to go, he's got to go. Even if it's not popular, he's got to go. It's gospel submission. He knows in whom he has believed. Number seven, a seventh hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership is gospel innocence. Gospel innocence, it may not make sense now, but I think it will after we read 25, 26, and 27. Let's do that. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Gospel innocence. Look at these hands, he's saying. There is no blood on my hands. Which is a way of saying, I am not guilty. You know that I'm not guilty. Because I declared to you the whole counsel of God. I'm innocent. I've done what I've been called to do. I don't think this means the Apostle Paul exegeted, to use a big word, each and every verse of the entire Bible with them and exposited each and every verse of the entire Bible with them. Maybe that's what he means. Some people think that. But many think otherwise. When he says, I didn't cease from giving you the entire counsel of God, I think what he's saying is, I gave you the whole story I told you in detail from A to Z God's plan of redemption. If we want to be fancy in scholastic circles, I taught you biblical theology. I taught you how there is one great big storyline that runs throughout the whole Bible. Yes, he may have taught them Genesis to Revelation, but his point was I gave you God's plan. I showed you how Christ fits the whole thing. I showed you God's plan of redemption so that you might be able to be well informed enough to know what the gospel is and believe it by the grace of God. No one here will be able to say to me, the Apostle Paul is saying, we just didn't know. We're not saved because we didn't have enough data. No one explained to us the Bible storyline. Yeah, for three years I gave you the Bible storyline. I explained how Christ fulfilled the law. I explained how Christ propitiated sin on the cross or the Father's wrath on the cross for sin. I explained resurrection. I explained how it is God's plan. I think that's what he has in mind. Now, would you please look at 
Verse 26 and 27 again in reverse, maybe for effect. Let's read it wrong. 26, I am guilty of the blood of all of you, for I did shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's one of those things that makes you kind of swallow hard, I think. I think it should. A gospel leader, a Christian leader, is one who can look people in the eye, especially having spent time with them. And he's talking to now church people. And he can say, my hands are clean. I gave you everything you needed to know. But let's remember that it's possible to have that not be something somebody can say. We can talk Bible. We can quote Greek and Hebrew. We can look at Bible verses. We can look at Bible verses, quite frankly, in my opinion, from Genesis to Revelation and still be guilty with blood on our hands because we did not give the whole counsel of God. Because we didn't explain how it all fits together and holds together and how it does unpack God's plan of redemption. So wherever you're leading, and by the way, you're leading somewhere, maybe there's some exceptions, but generally you're leading somewhere. My great prayer for you would be that if you are with other Christians and you're talking to them about Christ, that you would not have any blood on your hands because you've given the full picture, the big picture. A Christian leader needs to be able to say that. He says that here. That's the kind of leaders we want to have. That's the kind of leaders we want to be. Let's move on to an eighth hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership, and that's number eight, gospel awareness. Excuse me, gospel alertness. Awareness is fine. Gospel alertness, or let's call it gospel vigilance. Verse 28 all the way down to 31. 28, pay careful attention. By the way, he's changes now. He was talking about himself, and now he's going to start saying, and here's what you must do if you're going to do like I do. He says, pay careful attention. That's a vigilant statement, an alertness statement. Wake up, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. And by now, our knees should you know, start coming together and knocking a little bit. Alright, leaders. Let me remind you, you'd better pay careful attention. You'd better be vigilant. You better watch yourself. Like Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine. You better be careful about what you say you believe. You better be careful how you live. And then he says, and to all the flock, you better be careful there too. And watch carefully. Be vigilant. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is not entitlement. This is not because you're so smart. This is a stewardship to care for the church of God. That's a helpful reminder too that should make our knees knock. This is not your church, Ephesian elders. This is not our church, OBCers, or OBC leadership. This is not our church, he says right there. And purposely so, it's the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. You know me, I don't even like to say my church. 
It's not my church. Now it is because I belong. It's not my church. I don't even like to say that. I hardly ever say that. It rubs me the wrong way because as soon as we start thinking that it's ours, we start doing what we want to do. And he says, you need to be sober-minded and pay close attention to your own life. This is Christ's church. He bought it with His own blood. It belongs to Him. You better watch yourself. And you better watch other people too. You better be alert. Watch what's taught. Watch what's tolerated. Then verse 29 explains why he's so serious. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, see these are the spiritual predators, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted, or the NAS or the King James perverted. These are spiritual pervert wolves is what they are. Perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And notice how perverse that is if you put your finger on disciples after them. And then if you go back to verse 28, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's supposed to be all about disciples of the Lord. It's his church. It's pointing people toward Jesus. And you can spot the spiritual perverted wolf because their agenda, even though they might use our phrases and our words, because remember, they're amongst us. The agenda is disciples for Pat. It's the agenda, or disciples for whoever. And he's saying, you better watch. You better look. Pay attention. These are the guys that go to the seminaries that you support. These are the guys who are people you've done ministry with before at Omaha Bible Church. Think how that feels. It doesn't feel good at all. He's talking to the Ephesian elders about the Ephesian church. There's gospel alertness or gospel vigilance if you're a gospel leader. We're not playing games. We're not playing church. The Lord Jesus Christ bought it with His blood. It belongs to Him. It's His. And He says, be my under-shepherds. And you better be careful. It's a good word for us. 31, another alertness phrase. Pay careful attention. 28, He's going to reiterate in 31, therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This was on his mind back then. He knew. I like 2 Timothy 1.14. It says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guarding the Gospel. When we were in 2 Timothy some time ago, I like to point out to you this guarding idea. It's a good one. It's an important one. It makes me think about guards in the NFL, 300-pounders. They're not sissified. They're not wimps. They're guards. They're going to protect the quarterback. Well, a gospel leader, a true Christian leader, ought to be eating more protein. <laughs> 
not because they need to weigh 300 pounds, but they better be feeding on the meat of the Word because they need to be strong. They need to be strong. They need to be alert. Let's move on to number nine, a ninth hallmark. Are we on number nine? All right, thank you. Ninth hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership is gospel dependence. Gospel dependence. There's a pretty big shift in verse 32 where it says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of, His, word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, if you didn't feel it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a screeching halt and a reversal. Okay, I'm exhorting, I'm teaching by way of example, by the grace of God, be like me as I'm trying to be like Christ, and He's in that mode over and over again, and then we come to verse 32, I commend you to God. Not in a cold way, but He's saying, I'm done. I went for it, went for it, went for it, but you know what? I don't have a Holy Spirit complex. And a Christian leader shouldn't have a Holy Spirit complex. At the end of the day, God is going to use the means, yes, through an apostle or a leader, but at the end of the day, you can't change somebody. And you can't do it for them. You pour your life into them and then you say, I believe in the sovereign grace of God and the power of the gospel. And so, I've got to move on. I've got to move on. I like to call it gospel dependence. He's going to gospelize, evangelize again and again and again and warn again and again and again and then he's going to commend him to God because he believes in the sovereignty of God. Only someone who believes in the absolute sovereignty of God could say what is said in verse 32. Ten, tenth hallmark of Christ-exalting leadership. We'll do ten and eleven rather quickly. Let's call it gospel giving. It's not about Him and that's what happens in leadership sometimes. Oh, what's in it for me? What are people giving me? Me, 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 me. Saying, no, Ephesian elders, let's look at this here. Gospel giving. 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You understand that, don't you? Makes sense. He's going to work hard so He can give. It's not about Him. Too easy in leadership to have it be about you. He says, it's not that at all. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Do what Jesus said. Helping others. Number 11. 11th gospel hallmark. Christian leaders. Let's call it gospel praying. 36 says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful. Most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that he would not, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to, to the ship. Gotta love it. Exhorting by example, exhorting by exhortation, saying, I commend you to God. And let's pray which in one sense speaks louder than any of this, in one sense. Because he's making sure they understand and they remember, though he's the big, bad, mighty Apostle Paul who wrote Romans, that you can try to be biblical 
In fact, you can be biblical. Knowing the truth, preaching the truth. But if you're really going to be a gospel leader, a Christian leader, you know that you have no power in and of yourself. And you've got to drop to your knees and say, God, help us. You do this. We can't. Even though we know the truth, we still can't do it. Apart from you doing it. Put it in the negative, and I've tried to say this over and over again. Our great declaration of independence, saying we don't need God, is when we don't pray. Even when we're memorizing verses and trying to do biblical things. And so it's just a great and helpful complement and balance to this whole thing that he shows them by way of example that a Christian leader understands they can know all kinds of things that are true and right, but at the end of the day, it depends upon God. It depends upon God. Well, these gospel hallmarks didn't come from Peter Drucker or some other leadership book which might be fine for CEOs, some helpful things. But we're not talking about CEOs. We're talking about shepherds. And shepherds meet shepherd qualifications, and then they act like this. By the grace of God, that's what we want. That's the kind of leaders we want. That's the kind of men and women we would even want to be as we follow leaders. So let's give God thanks for this example. Father, thank You for giving us the Apostle Paul, the sinner, who called himself the chief of sinners, who knew that he couldn't just be silent and not speak the gospel as if his life were good enough. He knew that it wasn't. But at the same time, by your grace, and by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, his life changed. He was regenerated. He was born again. And he was being sanctified by your Spirit and And so He could even help us to see what it looks like in real life to be an overseer. What it really looks like to be the 1 Timothy chapter 3 kind of leader or the Titus chapter 1 kind of leader. Lord, we would ask that You would continue to raise up leaders in our midst. That You would help us to be vigilant. That You would help us to be giving. You would help us to be dependent. You would help us to be these kinds of things. Starting with leaders. And as the rest of us would want to follow such leaders in Christ-likeness, Lord, we would ask that you, You would indeed provide in this way. Thank You for Your wisdom. Thank You for Your grace. Lord, I certainly would want to say and acknowledge publicly that apart from Your grace, we are failures. And we are incapable. So we would ask that there would be great capability that would show the evidence of your Spirit's blessing and your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen.